This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Celia, thanks so much for coming in. I'd just like to start by just briefly reminding us why you're involved in trying to change police attitudes to domestic violence. The reason I'm involved is because my mum was failed by the system at large and primarily by the police force. There were a catalogue of errors that led to her death and that has brought so much to light during the inquest. And ever since then, my family and I have been part of a massive activist campaign to create change and awareness and change. Because the, the, the list of criticisms of Essex police to do with the handling of Mark Chivers, who was the man who killed your mum, is as long as your arm. It was a complete failure on their part in so many ways, wasn't it? It was. Yes, and, and it's, it cannot happen again because he wasn't... Uh, it wasn't a subtle case. The, it was glaringly obvious from the reports and the inquest of what could have been done. Mm. And uh, so we just, we're using mum's life as a catalyst for change. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. Once more, I'm joined by Celia Peachy. And again, listener discretion is advised. Now, I know these are not easy to hear episodes, but they're extremely real and important conversations to have. And I know so many of you have already felt so angry and fired up by what you've heard. But please keep the messages and reactions coming. Let's create the much needed wave of change and wake up and start paying attention to domestic violence perpetrators and stalkers. And not just when a horrific murder happens. More importantly, we should be paying attention to what the red flag behaviours are and call out abuse and more importantly, abusers. These are real cases, real people, and there's a real life consequence to abuse and to abusers' behaviour. So please share these episodes with others. You never know, it may just save a life. Now, the clip you heard at the top of the episode was Celia talking on Channel 5 News, and you heard the presenter react to how many missed opportunities there were and how shocking the failures were. Celia agreed and said it can't happen again, and that she's using her mum's case as a catalyst for change. But unfortunately, it did happen again and again and again and again. Now, you're going to hear the costs of domestic abusers in terms of women and children being killed, mainly by men, as well as the financial cost. And it's huge. £66 billion a year, 
And some damages and hurt are just not quantifiable. The non-pecuniary costs. And we get into that in more detail in this episode, as well as my work reviewing the murders in Essex. So let's rejoin the conversation. No, I think, you know, you laid it out laid out the case very clearly when you do the cost analysis. I I always look at the human costs first of all, but in terms of the financial cost, it's huge, 66 billion a year to society. That doesn't include all the psychological, you know, trauma-related support thereafter for the victims and the families. And if you take one murder, which I used to have to cost all of this as the head of homicide prevention at New Scotland Yard, one murder to investigate is 3.2 million pounds now. And it used to be about 1.5 million. So when I was working particularly around the murders that happened in Essex, and I've gone into so many areas across the country, I was always the person that was called in when catastrophe happened. And I would always be very clear about what happened and what we needed to do to try and intervene, prevent and learn those lessons. But knowing that there were at least nine murders in Essex, and I just want to read you the names of of the nine, because I say at least because there were others, but your mother's murder was on the 19th of December 2008, which resulted in two independent police complaint commission investigations. But there was also Sylvia Rowley Bailey in Hatfield Heath on the 11th of June 2010. Then Christine and Shania Chambers in Braintree on the 6th of June 2011. And there was an Independent Police Complaints Commission investigation into that case, which I was the expert advisor sitting on the group. There was Jeanette Goodwin just shortly after that in South End on the 24th of July 2011. Again, the Independent Police Complaints Commission were investigating and I was called in as their independent expert. There was Mary Russell in Leon C on October 2011, Anthony Daly in Harlow, 28th of November 2011, Esna Blunny in Harlow, the 27th of June 2012, which I gave advice on, Gillian Andrade in Loughton on the 8th of July in 2012, and Claire Parrish in Harlow on the 15th of July 2012. And like I said, there were, there were others thereafter. And I looked at the totality of what was happening. And the fact that it was so many people's lives who, well, A, they were brutally murdered, but the families, and it's the ripple on the pond. And yet there was still this defensive nature from Essex police. In fact, the new chief who who did go in thereafter because the former chief was moved, well, he he resigned in 2012. I had various letters back and forth with him Um Jim Baker McCardle. Oh, accountability, exactly. It is. And, and that's why I do it rather than, you know, point a, a finger. When you're in a position where you're paid a lot of money to make these decisions, that's where I think leadership, people need a reminder. You're paid a lot of money to make these decisions. When I had various back and forth with Jim Baker McCardle, he was stood down in October 2012 interesting timing, giving all those cases. And then I interacted with many other assistant chief constables, deputy chief constables across that time. The new chief constable of Essex was Stephen Kavanagh, and he accepted the findings of the report, and he did try and put things in place in the knowledge, and he did acknowledge Christine and Shania Chambers's murder. Shania was two years old when 
a whole history, 16 call-outs beforehand, and they were high, they were high-risk victims. She was already classified as a high-risk victim, and the response was not appropriate or suitable. And the same with Jeanette Goodwin. She was a high-risk victim, recategorized, marked down to being standard risk, even though she said she was terrified five times on a call. And so it is about this repeated pattern. That's what I got very fired up about at that time. And actually going back through the paperwork, it makes me angry again because we have had cases in Essex more recently where women have been failed. And it's about that long-term learning. That's why the campaign was so important to me, the serial perpetrator campaign, that you've been such a fantastic campaigner and advocate and colleague and friend of mine whilst we've been moving through these many years of trying to ensure that women's voices are heard and four years in that domestic abuse bill now an act. And unfortunately, within those four years, many women were killed, particularly with the pandemic. And unfortunately, Pretty Patel, although she acknowledged that serial perpetrators were a problem, voted down the amendment that could have changed all of this and could have created a very clear cultural shift and cultural change where the perpetrators were the focus. Yeah, I, I don't understand that. Did she give a, a clear reason for that that we could give to, to the to the listeners? I mean, what was? Oh, the, they've what heard was that me talk about it. They've <laughs> heard me talk no about doubt. it endlessly. Yeah, because at each stage of the campaign, I've tried to give an update. Um, and in fact, in the in episode 21, there's a quote from Priti Patel where she said just before the final uh, debate on the bill, there's something about serial offenders that we need to do something about. And unfortunately, she and Robert Buckland teased the whole way throughout the last, I would say, probably six months that something would be happening and that they would create this database and it would be it would include serial perpetrators and stalkers. Where, where it, what it comes down to ostensibly was what Minister Victoria Atkins said was that it would create added complexity. I believe that's codified language for it means we would have to do something and it would increase, for example, in category three, the amount of offenders being managed from 330 to about 50,000, which equals money. And so my reading of it is that's what it comes down to. But when you and I, and of course we talk about how much domestic abuse cost to, cost to society, 66 billion. It's just a drop in the ocean. You know? 100%. And I, and I didn't want to bring it back to money, but that seems that, that that's all it, because I, I, like you, I focus on the, the, the human cost. You know, my brother and I are without a mother and, and without those hugs and those memories that we could have, we could have had, you know, so many wonderful adventures and experiences together. And, and, you know, the, the fact is that the system said, oh, we can't afford to do this. We can't afford to put prevention in place. We can't. But money's digitally created. Everybody's aware of that now. And so what's the deal? There is no excuse. And yeah, it just it just it really just doesn't make sense to me. And then my uncle had to take the, the police to court because of his own loss. You know, he had a very high paying job. And he went into depression and despair and post-traumatic stress, as you can imagine, complex post-traumatic stress, every single one of us, you know, completely flawed uh, for years, not just for months. And and then and then he's kind of, um, you know, the fingers are pointed at him and 
he's literally, you know, he fought for non-pecuniary loss for harm. And so for anyone listening, pecuniary losses are losses that you that you can measure in money producing a receipt or a bill, but non-pecuniary loss is personal injury, those losses that cannot be measured precisely in money. The loss is typically intangible in things like pain and suffering and loss of enjoyment. What about that? What about the consequence to that, to everyone around you and your and the planet in general? That, for me, is the most important thing, you know? And, and he was... There were, I, I mean, I won't even go into some of the things that, that were lied about in that case and how he had to, to confront such such ignorance and and I oh, just I don't know what to say but he's opened the door now and I'm really proud of him he's opened the door for other people to fight for non-pecuniary loss because the human cost is far more um of value you know like human cost it's human life this is people this is memories this is experiences this is this is love this is you know everything that makes life worth living I'm so glad you've said that I'm so glad that you've explained that actually it's not about money and it's not about the apology. It's, it's about the long lasting legacy, the non tangible things, the, the joy, mm. the not ever having a hug, not ever sharing certain things, be it the wedding day or the first child or graduation exactly. or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People you know, don't my, think my, about my that. They don't think about it, you know, and my mum's very strong in spirit, you know, like she really is a guiding force. I hear her laughing. She was a very, very strong character, but I can't hug her anymore. I can't go to her and pick up the phone and say, mum, this has happened. My brother, she was so affectionate, you know, when someone's really affectionate, he misses those hugs. He misses dancing around the lounge, being swung around and having, you know, like belly-wrenching laughter where he almost wets himself with his mum you know like those are things that you money can't buy and this is why you know the training needs to go into prevention the police deserve to have that awareness that so they can bring protection to the public to save us going through all of the barrage of trauma that is so unnecessary that's destroying us as humans this is their legacy this is their chance to save themselves and to, to be of real service. They need this training. It needs to be part of the curriculum. It's it's more than money. It's, it's everything. I agree. It should just be part of core business. It's too important yes. for it not to be. I love the way you describe your mum as well. Will you, will you just describe her a little bit more of her characteristics and how she was? Yeah, sure. I mean, she was, she had a, you know, one of these women like, that just has a well I've got it I've got her laugh <laughs> it's like it's exceptionally deep and unapologetic it's just like it's out there and I can hear it to this day you know things that she would laugh at and and the looks that we would exchange and just mother and daughter knowing you know that that real understanding that you have between one another and she she would swim underneath the swimming pool. I'm sitting by a swimming pool now and she'd swim underneath when I was a child and she'd pinch me on the bum like 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 a, a crab and I would scream with laughter and she would just, you know, she would just then pick me up and 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 hug me and twirl me around and I would be pushing her away saying, that wasn't fair. And, you know, she was just mischievous and she was kind and she was caring and she was she was a rebel with heart and she loved people more than anything. And all she ever wanted was to be, was to feel good about herself and for other people to feel good about themselves, you know, because she knew the struggle. She had childhood trauma with domestic abuse. 
And sadly, because of her generation, she never got to really address it and deal with it. And and that for me is why that pattern in her life reoccurred, because she'd normalized things that I know and you know are not normal. Love is not supposed to hurt. It's not supposed to suppress and control and all that other stuff. And so, you know, sadly, these patterns are kind of indoctrinated and the, the, the people that need to do the work many of us you know it takes a lot of courage to face that within yourself and so I you know I really feel that had she been given that opportunity she would have done because she was an exceptionally loving person my brother's dad is an exceptionally loving person she did meet someone who was exceptionally kind and a fabulous father and so that gives me heart and hope you know and yeah she was just she was a force of nature when she was on form when she wasn't feeling the effects of her childhood trauma, when she was free and she was present, she was amazing. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, and now I have tools and that's what I give my clients, tools, spiritual practices to be present and to clear that story so that you can be in your power and create from this moment and live the wisdom of your experience, you know, and be a pioneer, go into the unknown. We know what's been before. It wasn't great. Let's create greatness now and and put your heart at the center of your, your life, you know. Um, yeah, she was amazing. And, and I, and I love her because she's helped me become such a strong woman. You know, I know that I'm the love of my life. That's what it's taught me. And anything else, you know, is a bonus and you'll co-create with an awareness and a boundary that no one completes you, but you. Absolutely. And maybe that is the, the life lesson. And I think so many of us have experienced abuse you know, in our childhoods or at different times in our life, we know how prevalent it is. So your mum wasn't an exception to the rule, but now there's much more awareness. There's much more knowledge. There's, I always talk about people doing the work. You know, I've had to do the work. I do the work every day. It's not just something you work on, then you put down, oh, it's done, tick. It's every day as a survivor, you have to keep doing the work. That should be your pledge and your investment in yourself. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. And it's not for someone to feel blame or shame that it happened to them, but the legacy it passes down to your next generation. If you don't deal with the hurt, with the trauma, it's unresolved. And then you do have complex PTSD, which 
can be a pattern that you pass down to the next generation. And I know you've been doing a huge amount of work and it's not been easy, but you're in a good place now. And can you tell us about a little bit about the work that you're doing now and, and where you are? And uh, Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess, you know, I'm just, I'm working with people now that are ready to to let go of that, that drama that addiction to drama which most of the planet have you know like as we spoke before we started recording you know a world without peace uh, I mean world a world without trauma would be an amazing world to imagine and 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 to live without drama does not mean life will be boring It, it you know it's actually what I found within my own journey is that I thought passion was anger I would get them mixed up and now I'm super passionate but I'm just more peaceful in my passion I'm not kind of like you know because I'm quite an intense person, but, you know, a lot more um, aware, aware, you know, of, of how I'm conducting myself and that effect on other people and my and my environment. And so, yeah, I'm working with clients one-on-one. I'm just about to launch my academy, Ultimate Alchemist Academy, where we have masterminds and we all support each other and peeling back the layers of our own self-denial so that we can actually really experience our greatness and be witnessed with people that genuinely support us shining and transforming and growing and you know then then there'll be like a, an alchemy circle I call it where there's non-violent communication there's a whole dialogue between the group and we really learn to communicate and listen to one another and feel safe being seen and heard and gosh it's just so important to me because you know as, as I heard you say Laura we've all grown up with certain levels of trauma and in order for that pattern to be broken we need to find safe spaces for people to kind of really help us reframe things so working with clients is just one of the most rewarding jobs because I feel like I'm cultivating trust every session I have and and they mirror that back they're so grateful for the trust that we we build together because trust and love is built right I find myself in Costa Rica I had to leave everything behind because I was trying too hard for too little joy because the energy was still the same. You know, I, I needed a, and whether, you know, I may come back to the UK, I don't know what the universe has in store, but I find that the more I am in touch with nature, the more I'm able to tune into myself every single day and listen to myself. What story am I telling myself? Is it helpful? Is it guiding me towards to live the wisdom of my experience and to really live in my power and my self-worth and my sovereignty? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out with people that meditate, that are doing activism, that are into Ayurveda, that, that are participating in their healing process. They're not looking to to just take the easy way out. They're, they're really willing to face their demons and take responsibility. And that's that's what's going to heal. You know, this, this planet is each one of us taking responsibility for our shadow and doing that work. And, and I honor you because I know you're going to be the most amazing mother, a conscious mother who I, I, I just, the work that you do to look at the patterns of the worst patterns in humanity and still be, you know, the most vibrant, strong, beautiful individual that has a strong man supporting such a strong woman is I find inspirational. And now you're going to have a baby. I'm just, you give me so much hope and light that it's all possible. And I'm just, thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. More to the point, you've been talking to me so honestly and so courageously. And and yes, I will say I, I've seen probably the darkest aspects of human behavior, but I also see some of the lightest and brightest 
Mm. And that surprises a lot of people, but I really do. And you're one of those people. You see so much humility and the best of humanity of people wanting to help others from their own experience. And once you've resolved your trauma, and it, and it is a work in progress, but once you've invested in yourself to heal yourself, to know your self-worth, and I always call it childhood. Well, in adulthood, we spend most of our lives trying to unlearn that mm-hmm. stuff from childhood that doesn't serve us. And it's and not be easy. Our own parents. <laughs> yeah. And it's and yeah. self-love. And it's not easy, particularly if we've had our bonds interrupted and there's been trauma and there's been abuse. And I'm a firm believer you can't heal in the same environment where you were harmed or where you were hurt. That actually taking yourself off to a new environment allows you the space to reflect and grow and heal with new people and new energy. So whenever you feel like you'll make it back to the UK will be the right time to make it back to the UK. I may come and visit you in America, you know, like at the end of the day, my body is my home. And this is what I really want all women and men to understand is that can't violate ourselves or one another anymore. Like it's, we are sacred beings. That's, and it might sound woo woo to some people, but I just don't care. My mum was treated so badly and I choose to honor the fact that I am sacred I am worthy and 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 so are you, you know, like it's there's so much more to this life than than what we're being led to believe by so many different projections out there. I don't care if I sound woo-woo. I've had to extract myself to be around people that get it. And I'd rather be around them than 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 not be. Absolutely. And there are, you said it, and it is an important thing to say because it comes up all the time with my work. There are good men and there are yes. good women. And, you know, people always think because I talk about male violence towards women, that therefore I don't like men, which couldn't be further from the truth. I just want the men who are the good role models to step into their mentorship and their leadership and their ability to help others. And I think if more of them, you know, stepped into that role as leaders and mentors, then actually that would help so many more boys become men and the right kind of role modeling. And it unfortunately, it still doesn't happen. It's still left to women to fix that problem. So I'd like to see a lot more men stepping up because there are a lot of good men out there. No, they really are. In Costa Rica, there's a man who's been holding men's circles. And there's another guy who I've who've written a book about being fine, you know, and how that's just not, not, not really true. And what that really does to someone internally, just pretending that they're fine. And this is where this passive aggressive behavior comes out. And I, 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 I surround myself and consciously seek to, to, celebrate the men in my life that are doing the work that are emotionally intelligent and are activating their capacity for deeper connection and understanding with another because it is it is scary you know when someone activates emotions in you that feel alien the you know you can malfunction because of what's been normalized when your childhood so you don't know why you do some of the things that you do and that's why therapy and self-inquiry is so important and I guess Laura I wonder you know I probably it's up to us as women to say there's an example of it you might not have seen it they may not see it their greatness I'm going to start looking out for men that don't see their greatness that I see you are a great man and you are an example of of what the next generation needs to see amplified in this world because I've been absolutely searching for them for a long time trying to see where are they where are they I want to see them and focus on them and bring them to light 
They absolutely exist. And I'm lucky enough to be be with one of them. And I say to him, you know, oftentimes that he's a role model. And even doing the podcast, I hear from many men, actually, who write to me and say they didn't ever see it like that. Now they understand they have to step up. Now they have to understand that if they don't challenge sexism and misogyny, that probably no one else will. It's not for women to challenge that. And hearing from so many men who have listened to these sorts of conversations now becoming activists, now actually challenging and sharing and and opening up. That's a really important part of the learning and education process of why these conversations, they're real conversations. They're not woo-woo. We all want to be connected. We all want to be seen. We all want to be valued. We all want to be loved. We all want to be needed. That's what makes us humans whether we're boys, girls, men, women, and however we identify, that's the one thing, the human connection and the the spirit needs to feel connected. So honouring ourselves before we can actually be in a relationship with someone, we have to heal ourselves before we can actually offer anything to another human being. Totally. I've been single a long time by choice because I needed to trust myself. I needed to trust that I could articulate. Now I know I'm ready because I can articulate my boundaries and I can celebrate them without being defensive or, or, or scared. I still feel scared about it. I'm like, oh, you know, it activates a lot in me. But it's like, yeah, I've had to really look into, as I said, I've, like, what is my my definition of love and how do I choose to consciously co-create? And being here in Costa Rica, I'm around a lot more people that are really aware of the thoughts and the words and how that, you know, how they're lining up thought, word and deed. And we are really considerate of one another. And I'm very aware to put myself around those people because it's so damaging. Otherwise not, it's unnecessary. I mean, I said to one of the reasons that I did nonviolent communication is because it, I know people don't mean to be unempathetic, but it doesn't mean it hurts any less you know, this tactlessness that gets normalized and how that can like play out in someone's mind and then take them into suicidal ideation or whatever it is. And this is where I care so much about the the next generation, people of my brother's age and younger because of what he went through at that age and how fragile their minds are and how they get lost in the illusion of what they're, you know, what a man is. Mm. And um, he thought romance was cheesy. And I said, no, it's being thoughtful to another person's needs. It's it's being thoughtful. It's it's not what you think. And then a girlfriend in his mind, kind of a, a picture of ball and chain came up. And I and then when we kind of deconstructed some of these images in his mind, he was able. And then we realised that it were fear. And hopefully he doesn't mind me saying this because it is universal. Is that he felt unlovable when he realised that things he could actually open up and step in. And he's been really so proud of him because. He's been really doing the work. He's had to take, I helped him go to Thailand to get away from that environment where his friends would say things like, well, just have a drink, mate. What does it matter? And it's like, you don't understand. It affects him what he puts into his body. It doesn't affect you. You're not carrying the same trauma. So I would say to him, you know, say to him, why why are you so bothered what I put into my body? If you want to drink, drink. And then, you know, he really has wanted to do the work on himself because he did not want to inflict that pain on another person. And I know he went through great struggles with his girlfriend who was, you know, his first love because he was still processing so much hurt and hurt people hurt. And he was doing everything he could to kind of find a way of dealing with these emotions that were so alien to him. And he's thankfully he's got a fab- fabulous father and he's able to really be much more honest and open about his emotions. And 
I wonder if you and Umberto will ever do a, a podcast together about, you know, how this work has maybe crafted more consciousness in your own relationship. That would be fascinating. Yeah, I think, I mean, you sharing that about your brother is so important for young boys and men, particularly at that age where they're growing into men of what does a real man look like? How yeah. do they act? You know, I think, and we know there's a big empathy deficit between nine and 14 years of age for young boys. And the role modeling is so important at that age in particular. It's so conflicting what you see in movies, what you hear in music about what it means to be a man and what it means to have a relationship. So I'm so happy you and he were able to have those very honest conversations because yes, alcohol, drugs, all those things just numb. They don't do any good for somebody who is experiencing conflicting feelings or thoughts. It actually just makes things even worse. So finding a way through, particularly when there's trauma and you and your his dad and people being around him who can help him with those things because he obviously did want to do the work and has had a lot of honesty around him feeling unlovable because of the trauma, because of the things that happened. I think deep down, we all feel like that actually at different points in our life. Um, and I think a lot of people don't talk about that. There aren't honest conversations about it, but most oftentimes it comes from feelings of fear and in inadequacy and if you layer on trauma and rejection and other, you know, abuse within a relationship, it's actually just so damaging or it can be, but there is a way out. There is a way through, I should say, because it's not out, it's yeah, a way through, through and navigating <laughs> that pathway. Yes. The only way through is through, yeah, the only way, as, as I yeah, always yeah, say. Exactly. It's, there is no way out. It is through. And, and yeah, I'm really proud of him. And, and I guess that my mum's legacy is is that we've cultivated such deep honesty and trust you know like there's no i'll use this against you or i'm going to judge you energy at all you know he's so so safe with me and i'm so safe with him and to have someone mirror back to me you're being a bit hard you need to relax you're being defensive is that the trauma speaking or is that you i mean <laughs> someone being able to be that straight with you and and really you catch yourself it's just, it's, it's very heartwarming. And I, and I know that I pray in gratitude. I say, you know, that, that he will become a pioneer properly one day. I want more male pioneers, more men of his generation stepping up and, and conducting themselves and being leaders. Absolutely. Well, I fully support that and endorse that. And I want to honour you and your time. We've been talking for a long time now. I can talk to you for hours. And uh, I've really appreciated. We never know where our conversation will go, but there's always truth. There's always authenticity. And I know that it will help lots of people. And the things that you might want me to put some things in the show notes as well, whether it's a, a link to any of the work that you're doing or um, you know, whether you're taking on new clients or whatever it might be, just let me know and I'll, I'll pop that in the show notes. But I want to thank you so much for your time and your honesty, your bravery, your courage and honouring yourself and honouring your mother's legacy as well. Thank you, Laura. Right back at you. It's it's just an honour to walk this path with you and you brought so much into my awareness and I, you know, I commend the work that you do. I think we're fabulous. So, you know, let's just keep being fabulous and leading the way and, and recruiting as many people as we can on this journey of self-actualization. because I knew that I, I just want to end on this, that I knew that I had to look into my communication skills with myself in order to stop 
beating myself up and be much more be the most compassionate communicator I could with myself so I could give that to others and so that I can be yeah live a life of love and not a life of of uh treading myself down you know what I mean like I've really had to to be that change and and so then I don't normalize or attract anything else like it 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 doesn't become woo-woo this beautiful respect that we can cultivate with one another and yeah the what's possible you know I'm so excited by what's possible and it feels alien and scary but I'm excited by it because the world is changing and thanks to people like you it's changing for the better and me I include myself I love that. We will keep doing the work on ourselves, but also to create change and the cultural change that's needed. So thank you so much, Celia. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, I'm jumping in here. What did you make of my conversation with Celia? She's amazing, isn't she? Celia shows so much humility, poise and authenticity. And as she said, she's learned so much in the aftermath of her mum's murder. But at what cost? I continue to be amazed at how Celia shows up and how she turns such pain and grief into lessons for herself and for others, well, for all of us to learn from. Celia and now her brother Bengi are invested in doing the self-work, and it never ends. And she's now helping others thrive in such adversity. I'm curious, what stood out to you the most about these episodes with Celia? Hit me up on social. You can probably see now how costly domestic abusers are, both in terms of their destruction of others' lives as well as financially. And note that I'm not saying domestic abuse is costly. You see, it makes no sense to say that. It makes it sound passive, like it just happens and we can't do anything about it. And it removes the actor yet again, that being the abuser, the perpetrator. And my view is they're the problem, so let's keep naming them. When they don't get what they want, there's a price to be paid. When a woman rejects them, we count the costs in women's lives and children's lives, the many call-outs, the domestic terrorism, the fear, the escalation, then something horrific happens, the police are called, it escalates again, and then something horrific happens, the murder, and then there's an investigation, and maybe a trial, and then there's all the reviews after it, and the inquests, and then there's the aftermath, the ripple on the pond, the continuing emotional trauma, the PTSD, the psychological impact, the loss of work, 
the breakdown of relationships. And I could go on and on, and you heard Celia talk about some of it, but I do want to underline that there is no closure for the loved ones. And you heard Celia say that her uncle sued Essex Police, and he eventually won in 2019. Just take a note of that date. That's 11 years later. And it's not easy to sue the police in the UK, and it's even harder to sue them for letting down a victim. And actually, I don't know of any other case where it's happened and the complainant was successful. Now, in response to the family's successful civil action, I want to share with you what an anonymous Essex Police spokeswoman said in an interview with the BBC. She said this, We are acutely aware and sympathetic to the effects losing a loved one in such tragic circumstances can have on their relatives. Since Maria's tragic death, Essex Police has made strides to improve its safeguarding of people subject to domestic abuse and learn from the circumstances leading up to her murder. Okay, let's break this down, a bit of linguistic analysis. Well, before we get to that, it's interesting that it was an anonymous female officer who was wheeled out to make the statement to the press. Secondly, losing a loved one, well, that makes it sound passive. You lose your phone, you lose your credit card, you don't lose a person. Let's be clear, Maria was brutally murdered. And it was a murder in slow motion. And she said tragic circumstances. Well, again, it makes it sound somewhat inevitable. But Chivers' escalation to murder was not inevitable, in my opinion. He could have been stopped. In my view, this was preventable. And calling it a tragic death, well, again, that's repetition of the message and rhetoric of Essex Police and its language gymnastics to avoid the word murder. And she said that Essex Police had, and I quote, made strides to improve safeguarding and learn the lessons. Note the omission of not saying what those strides are. It's suitably vague, lacking in any detail as to what lessons were learned and what practice has changed to actually improve safeguarding of victims of domestic abuse and stalking. And so now I want to give you a context that that statement was made in. So let me tell you about what happened after Maria's murder. And just remember, Maria's murder was on and around December the 16th to the 19th, 2008. We don't know the exact day, but December 2008. Well, on the 6th of June 2011, Christine and Shania Chambers were brutally murdered in Braintree, Essex. Shania was two years old. Both Shania and Christine were shot dead by David Oakes in a domestic siege. Christine's other daughter managed to escape. But let me share with you that Christine had called Essex Police 16 times. When I assessed the case as requested by the IPCC, the Independent Police Complaints Commission, I assessed it as high risk. Oakes was stalking Christine and he made a threat and she was scared. His behaviour was escalating. However, no questions were asked and his behaviour was minimised and downgraded. He was seen as and I quote, a decent bloke by police. And Christine was persuaded not to pursue allegations due to it clashing with the date that she needed to be in family court for a hearing. And then, ironically, she was blamed for not pursuing the allegations. Oakes was believed over Christine when he made counter-allegations. Any of this starting to sound familiar? In the knowledge of what happened in Maria's murder and what looked like a cover-up regarding what happened, 
I grew increasingly concerned about Essex Police and the IPCC review process. And sadly, my concerns were warranted. Days later, on the afternoon of Sunday the 24th of July 2011, 47-year-old Jeanette Goodwin called 999. Jeanette told Essex Police that her ex-partner, Martin Bunch, wouldn't leave her alone and that he'd turned up at her home address and wouldn't leave. Calmly, she told the police five times that she was scared of him and that he'd been violent to her in the past. Bunch was in breach of his bail conditions, but the police didn't send anyone to Jeanette's house. In fact, they deprioritised the call despite the fact that Jeanette was previously flagged as a high-risk victim. Hours later in the evening, when police eventually attended her home address in South End, the officers found Jeanette. She had been stabbed multiple times. She was rushed to hospital, but died from her injuries. Then there was Esna Bluny, who was brutally murdered on the 27th of June 2012. Esna was pregnant and just days away from giving birth. Her ex-partner, Tony McLernan, lured her away from her home to meet him. McLernan stamped on her stomach and kicked her. He killed Esna and the baby and was later charged with murder and child destruction. Esna had called Essex police multiple times. The Crown Prosecution Service dropped charges just weeks before Esna and her baby were murdered. McLernan was a serial perpetrator. He had hurt other women, yet still nothing was done proactively to join his history up and protect Esna and her unborn baby. There's so much more I could say about these cases. It makes me feel sick talking about them. Each woman and child deserves a separate episode, and perhaps that's what I'll do. But now you can probably better understand my perspective and why I'm so fired up about protecting women and children, and about what happened in Essex. I'm getting angry and upset just talking about it again. It's opened it all back up for me. The same patterns that repeat over and over. Women calling the police desperate for help. Their calls being met with apathy and inaction. Serial perpetrators being allowed to escalate and offend with impunity. All the money being spent on reviews that reveal the same failures and little investment in creating real change, either at the local or national level. And I want to set this episode in another context, a context about what has happened with Sarah Everard in the UK. A police officer called Wayne Cousins kidnapped, raped and killed Sarah. And on January the 10th, the non-statutory inquiry into the failures began. Yes, it's a non-statutory inquiry, which means that witnesses cannot be compelled to give evidence. And it began on the same day that I learned David Carrick, a police officer serving in the same unit as Wayne Cousins, was charged with 29 offences against eight women between 2009 and 2020, including 13 counts of rape, five counts of sexual assault, three counts of assault by penetration, three counts of coercive control, and two counts of false imprisonment. You see, this has been going on for decades, and it's not just about a few rotten apples. And it's not just about individual officer attitudes. I mean, that does play a role. Yes, of course it does. The priorities, well, they're set by the leaders. But it's everything about the culture and how women are treated. Well, what became apparent to me from reviewing the murders and the behaviour of certain senior male police leaders was that if women were experiencing domestic abuse and or stalking and they were living in Essex and they called Essex police, 
That in itself was a risk factor. Now that's one sentence that I've lifted from one of my briefing reports at the time, and I believed it to be true. Just think about that. You see, I'll no longer sit on a group or review a case or deliver a one-off training day so that people can tick the box and say, we've learned the lessons and then move on without actually playing their part to create real change. That's not what I'm about. And I've always spoken the truth, going back to what Celia said, no matter how uncomfortable it is. And trust me, it has been all too many times throughout my career. But I work for the victims. It's as simple as that. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The stakes are too high and I won't stop. Even having a baby, I've been working non-stop and it makes me even more determined to create real change for the next generation. This is about legacy. And whilst doing this series, I've managed to get my hands on the inquest report into Maria Stubbins's murder. And it's blistering and confirms everything that I thought was going on at the time. And I want to discuss it with Celia and her brother Bengi and her uncle Manuel Fernandez. Now they've all agreed to talk to me, and so I'm going to record with them in the next few days, and I don't know what they're going to say, but I want to have a very candid conversation about the contents of that inquest report. So watch this space. Well, that was a much longer outro than planned, but I want these conversations to be conversations that matter. They're from the heart, and they're organic and authentic. I go where the case takes me, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with Celia, Bengi and Manuel. We owe it to Maria to honour her in her death. As Voltaire once said, to the living we owe respect, to the dead, only the truth. I'm going to sign off for now, and I hope you enjoyed, well, that's probably the wrong word, but I hope you found this conversation informative, illuminating and helpful, and I hope you feel fired up and you'll share crime analysts with others, and you'll sign the serial perpetrator petition. It's in the show notes. And please don't stay silent about male violence to women and girls. Stand up. Be heard. Let's get louder. So join me back in the intelligence cell next week. Until then, be curious, ask questions, speak your truth, and always trust your instinct. And here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. The first is a huge thank you to all of you, my lovely listeners and crime analysts, for tuning in every week. The second is an ask. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to me on. It really helps others find me and helps with the ratings. So thank you, thank you. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Tim Hansen at Half Ogre Studios. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate. And music by Kilrood. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.